Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the April 21st, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is the podcast discussing news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and today I am back with a live show, not on great circumstances, because what we want to talk about, what we should and need to talk about, is, of course, the story of the week, which is the jihadist attack at the Boston Marathon. No President Obama. This was not a tragedy. It was an attack by Islamic jihadists, and that cannot be said enough. We are at war only because they have declared war on us with Islamic jihadists. And unfortunately, this attack on American soil was only just the latest such attack, and uh, many of us are familiar with the prior ones. So we will be talking most of the show about that, and I do want you to call in and participate in the chat room about this. I have not prepared a whole ton. I've got a smattering of things to talk about, but I do also want to let you vent about this. The phone number, if you want to call in, is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And you can also participate in the chat room. We've got some people who have joined in and are starting to uh, participate in there. So hello, everyone. I think there is one person in the chat room from the Boston area, so that would be nice to get perspective from people there. I know that a lot of people now, thanks to the Internet, are able to watch a lot of the local Boston news coverage and get more of a sense of what is going on in Boston, but always good to also get a, a personal account. At the end of the program, we're also going to talk a little bit about privacy, which actually isn't completely irrelevant, but it was the topic that I was discussing last week at the conference, which made me miss a show with all of you. Uh, Rudy Giuliani brought it up on The Five, uh, which was either, I think, taped yesterday or, or on Friday. I'm not sure which. I just watched the, the recording today. But he was bringing it up in, in regards to how do we combat or actually try to prevent and, and root out future terrorist attacks we do it, in effect, by giving up our privacy. Do we have to do that? That's one of the things we'll talk about towards the end of the show. So, again, like I said, join in, 760-888-5817, and we'll go ahead and talk about some of the stories. So, like all of you, what do we do? First, we hear about this horrible attack. We don't know who did it. Uh, I actually heard about it while I was at my conference in beautiful Hawaii, and then I hear about this horrible thing happening at the Boston Marathon. And then one of the first things I heard about was an article at Salon.com, and the article is titled something like, I hope it's a white man. The author of the article hoped, before we knew who it was, that it was just some white male and, and not a jihadist, in effect. Um and I, I read a little bit of this wonderful article. Um, how can anyone, you know, actually hope that it's a particular race? It, is it relevant? I mean, 
you know, first of all, just stupid and dumb, and, and why, you know, he'd rather have it, I guess, be a white male, because white males are the majority, the favored people. That was what I was getting from the part that I was reading. You know, he didn't want it to be uh, some sort of a minority of people who adhered to a religion like Islam, because he didn't want them to be made to feel bad and ostracized and everything else. Um yeah, Stephanie in the chat room says, yeah, hoping it was a white, white white guy because they feared it would be a Muslim. They didn't want it to be a Muslim. You know, if it's a white guy, then they just say, oh, it was just the guy. But, you know, heaven forbid that we would actually uh, suspect other people who share the ideology of the attackers. You know, that would just be so horrible. But, you know, at the time, I mean, I don't know who it is. Certainly, I wouldn't hope it's a white male. Certainly, I wouldn't hope it's a tea partier, which is what a whole bunch of people were speculating and hoping for. It would be some right-wing radical. But I didn't know who it was. And and what goes through my mind? Well, maybe it doesn't have to be a jihadist attack. You know, it might not be a jihadist. Maybe it was somebody who hated the good and who are the good in this case, those who qualify for and finish the Boston Marathon. These are top athletes in the world. Maybe it was somebody who was disgruntled, who hated the good for being the good, and goes to the finish line, people who actually made it to the finish line, and attacks them and tries to kill them. We've seen things like that before. Tanya Harding is the name that comes to mind. Wasn't that the horrible woman who uh, hit the leg of a ice skating competitor or something? I, mean, I don't know. There are these types of people. So, you know. I don't know who it is. Keep your mind open. But certainly don't wish for it to be a white male. And then, you know, in terms of looking at a race versus an ideology, what is relevant, right? I mean, at least if you say, okay, well, it's due to an ideology, an ideology that we already understand is trying to go after us, then you have some sort of a cause. You have something that you can do to try to root out and prevent future attacks. If it's just some sort of senseless hatred of the good for being the good, yes, we still do have a, an ideological means by which we can try to attack this, which is to spread the proper philosophy. So there is no more hatred of the good for being the good, or at least we will minimize it and have less hatred of the good for being the good because it's kind of a widespread idea today. But hoping for a, a race, I mean, it, it's just bizarre. Um yeah, people in the chat room here, what are they saying about this? Um, uh, people are talking about a, a internet something. Oh, yes. Uh, Deborah in the chat room says uh, about uh, Tanya Harding. She had a hitman club the knee of Nancy Kerrigan to take her out of competition. Yeah. So we had all heard about this case. So you think, okay, it could have been one of those. But no, then we find out that it's these two brothers. These two brothers from Chechnya. And... What happens? All the news media breathe, as far as I could tell, a collective sigh of relief. Why? Because, hey, you can show the pictures of these guys. They don't look Arab. They they look sort of white. And, gee, they have Eastern European-sounding names. We don't even have to discuss their ideology if we didn't want to. And, indeed, what did we hear? We heard that they went to the same high school as Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. 
like who cares, um, we heard that they were into wrestling or boxing or whatever. But the news media, they were reading the same exact profile that you and I were reading, the profile that was linked to on the Dredge Report, the one that I posted a link to on the Don't Let It Go On Her page, the one in which the younger brother, and I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce or botch his name, we'll just call him Durka Durka Muhammad Allah Jihad or whatever, um, He his worldview, what does he say his worldview is? He says it is. Islam. Repeat after me. He said his worldview was Islam. Hmm. So his worldview is Islam. He bombed a bunch of innocent civilians at an important sporting event in a big city in the United States. What could possibly be his motive? Oh, um, poor him. He was so misunderstood. Oh, poor him. What could we do to possibly help to integrate the foreign populations of the world who immigrate here. We just have to help integrate them better, and then they won't try to kill us, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. What could possibly be his motive? All the news media try to speculate. Oh, we still have to figure out what his motive is. Um, Some correspondents did go so far as to say that, yes, these two young men, they call them young men. Why would you call them young men? I think that's even just granting them too much to even call them young men. These are scum. These are terrorists. I mean, at least you call them terrorists. It kind of doesn't say very much, but... To call them young men, I just I just cringed every time I heard the word young men by the news media. Uh, anyway, the people would say, oh, they were radicalized. But they were radicals. That's all we know. Radical of what belief? Oh, blank out. Who knows? But even on Fox, right, up, up until really I saw, I saw the five. I watched the five, and it was excellent, by the way. They finally got to have a show at the end of the week this week. Um, but before that, all that I saw were guests particularly the former New York City mayor, Rudy Giuliani, was a guest on various of the news shows on Fox, and he would use the word jihad unapologetically, no problem. But it was very frustrating for me to watch the news coverage. Eventually, I just had to turn it off. But I I really found that watching The Five, and particularly Greg Gutfeld on The Five, was very refreshing. Um, One of Gutfeld's colleagues, I think her first name is Andrea, I can't remember her last name, she kept using the term radical Islamic jihadist. Now, she said a lot of the right things. She says, look, we have been at war with these people for hundreds of years. We will be until we stop them. But she used radical Islamic jihadist. Gutfeld himself would just use the term jihadist by itself. And and to me, if I mean, if you're not going to just blame Islam itself, jihadist is an honest term. This is also a term that Bosch Faustin himself says, okay, if you're going to use a term that isn't just Islam or Muslim, Use jihadist. This is more honest. Because uh, if you think about it, radical Islamic jihadist, I mean, that is just redundant. And moreover, it contributes to anyone being radical, being looked upon as bad, right? I mean, I'm a radical. I am a radical. But I'm a radical for a good ideology. These guys were jihadists. Their worldview stated by themselves was Islam. And as Gutfeld says, what more do you need to know? We don't need to, you know, to de- uh, delve into their personal lives, their psychology, et cetera, et cetera. Now, he went so far as saying, well, we shouldn't put their pictures up and we're glorifying them too much. And I do think the news has been doing that too much this week, you know, flashing pictures of them, showing how easy it was to paralyze a city, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but I think, yeah, you do have to look at these two individuals in the sense of how do two people in this country maintain ties to people overseas, maybe in Russia, maybe in other countries where they are becoming trained, where they are becoming reinforced in their beliefs in Islamic Jihad. So you have to look a bit into their background. You don't just completely shut it off. But I agree that you don't have to sit here and go, oh, what is their motive? Oh, the poor misunderstood young men. What could have possibly... These guys made a choice to adhere to this belief, this murderous ideology. And that is, uh, you know, that, that that's nothing else. We don't we don't need to know more about what could what you know their motive could be. In the chat room, I have Mikhail Yakov, and he says uh, that as a Bostonian, he wants to hear about my uh, my take on the moral and legal aspects of the police manhunt for the bombers, particularly the region wide lockdown and the issue of the suspects' Miranda rights. I'll definitely want to talk about that. I mean, I can go ahead and go into that now if I don't have any uh, phone calls. No, I look seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven is the number if you want to discuss this. Uh, first of all, the issue of the lockdown. It was interesting because on the five the uh you know the different hosts of the five the co-hosts were asking Giuliani you know look after 911 you didn't lock down New York City and yet they locked down Boston when they were in pursuit of the younger of the two scumbag brothers and you know they were saying well you know wasn't that just in excess you know why did they have to do that of course they had to do that. I don't think it was excessive at all. I think that it was proper to do that. Why? Because they had reason to believe that somebody who could still do harm to the citizens was on the loose. So it did one of two I mean it did two things. It kept people safe and it made it very hard for the uh younger scumbag brother to escape undetected. Right? So you know this this idea that uh, you know it was is, is excessive in some way. I don't think so. Now, obviously, you can't do this for long, long periods of time, and they didn't lock down the city for a long, long period of time. So, I mean, maybe as a Bostonian, Mikhail, you might have a different take on it. And I'd love to hear kind of your back and forth about that. I mean, feel free. Like I said, go ahead and call up if you want, but also keep commenting here in the chat room if you thought it went on too long. But I think as a short-term state of emergency locking down the city in order to find this guy who has these incredibly sophisticated explosive devices at his disposal, I don't think that was excessive at all. So I thought that was fine. Uh, The issue of the Miranda rights, totally a non-issue. Rudy Giuliani was excellent on this point on the five, but you can also read the same exact points that he made being made on the Volek conspiracy blog. There is a post there called Snar- uh, Sarnayev, oh God, I have pronounced his name, sorry, Scumbag Brother Name, Scumbag Brother Name and Miranda Rights. If you just Google Miranda Rights, Volek Conspiracy, Volek is spelled V-O-L-O-K-H, the Volek Conspiracy blog is a very good legal blog, and they have a very readable uh, write-up on the Miranda rights issue. Essentially, it is a complete non-issue if they don't want to use the younger scumbag brother's 
testimony or confession against him. And as I understand it, they already had what is called a spontaneous confession from him to the guy whose car they hijacked or whatever when they were trying to escape. Uh, They actually told the guy, oh, yeah, we're the guys who blew up at the Boston Marathon or, you know, blew up people at the Boston Marathon. So what more do they need? They don't need any of what the guy says to use against him in a court of law. So why not just question him indefinitely? And both Giuliani said that and whoever it was, I'm sorry, I can't give him proper credit, who wrote the post at the Volick Conspiracy blog. It was a very good post. Go check it out for yourself. But, um, you know, if they don't need it, so that's the big issue. But then, of course, there are two different exceptions that they could go to. One of them is this public safety exception. So I think that there's a time limit on that. Giuliani was referring to a 48-hour time limit that you could use to go ahead and question the guy for two days without Mirandizing him without reading him as Miranda rights, his right to remain silent, right? They could do that for 48 hours under this exception. But then the other thing is that if they went ahead and treated him as an enemy combatant, if they went ahead and considered him as having given up his citizenship, you know, he just became a citizen in September of 2012, September 11th of 2012. That's pretty disgusting. Um, anyway, treat him as an enemy, enemy combatant, and then you don't have to Mirandize him, and in fact, you should maybe treat him, uh, try him in a military tribunal. I think that would be a fitting, you know, outcome for this guy. I, I, you know, as Gutfeld mentioned on the five, how could this guy get a trial from people who have not heard a much, you know, a bunch about this case anywhere except for Mars? And that's true. So, um, I think definitely that uh, there's no issue with the Miranda. Now, I got a number of phone calls, which I'm glad about. And I think this first one, I think I've got Bosch Faustin on the line. So I want to give him a chance first to, to chime in since he's not here with me in the studio. Hey. Hi. Hi, is this Bosch? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, good. Uh, I don't know. I just... I don't, know what, I don't know what to say about this. Uh, again, it's, it ended up being what we all thought it probably would be. Yeah, not just what, what we thought it would be, what leftists and Muslims thought it would be. Muslims, again, killed Americans. I mean, this is what they do. This is what they've always done. And right. as that one person on, on the uh, on the five said, the girl, the, uh, what's her name, Andrea? Andrea, I believe, is her she, name, yeah. yeah. She said, We've been fighting them for hundreds of years. She's absolutely right. The Marines were born because of jihadists. In the seas of Africa, you know, they were uh, pirates back then. From our yeah, I mean, and that that's an important point that you have wanted me to make on the show before and told me in the yeah. so-called taxi cab thoughts afterwards that right. our Marines, our Marines were actually founded, were born because of the need to fight jihadists that were right. attacking our ships. Is that right? That's right. And uh, Jefferson and uh, Adams, they made a joint uh, I guess talking for the Congress, and they talked about what they learned because they they both read the Quran, which makes sense. You know, you would imagine that if people are going after you, this is what you do. You know, right. you have to find out who the enemy is, what they what they would likely do, and then go after him, hunt him down, and kill him. And uh, they did that, and that's why when this disgusting politician pig, the, the Muslim Keith Ellison, uh, when he was sworn in, he put his hand over 
Jefferson's uh, Quran without mentioning why Jefferson got that Quran. He didn't get it just to read, learn from Islam. He got it to learn about the enemy. Right, right. Now, how... I was going to ask you, how frustrating has it been for you this week to hear some of the terminology used by the newscasters? I did. You know, I don't really... I mean, I'm... I, I try to bite my tongue sometimes, but sometimes and I've been I'm tweeting all... I haven't been funny, but I check out my tweets. I've been tweeting all week about that. But one thing I noticed was uh, a few people who I respect, I won't say names, a few people who I respect who have been going against the jihad uh, have used terminology that I disagree with, that in some way euphemizes the, uh, the, uh, the uh, terms. But this week, i got to say, they both, these two particular individuals came through. These are Islam. These were jihad. This is right. new. And this is good. It gets us closer because the more we speak about, you know, the actual, by the actual names, the better we can take them on. I'm just a long over here. I'm, I'm taking a walk. If it's ruined, it's not. I apologize. Yeah, gonna, I think that yeah, this this the sound is a, a little bit hard to hear yeah. in places. But but no, I I understand what you're saying and I think you were saying that they are starting to use the term Muslim terrorism, yeah. is that right? Right. Yeah. Well, now Muslim, Muslim terrorism is one that I hadn't I hadn't heard before this week. Yeah, exactly. It's a proper term. It's absolutely proper. And one thing it says also, it says you know, I mean, look, um I think Daniel Greenfield, you I don't know if you covered that already. But about about this idea about uh, something I said on the Daily Show, I was accused of. Uh, I think Asif Mandi, the Muslim liberal uh, host on the Daily Show, asked me, "Do you think Muslim people are jihadists?" And I said, "Yeah, of course." Yeah. And right. that's absolutely true because it's always there. You know, the jihad is always there for the Muslim who has the will to kill. Yeah. Now, I mean. Yeah, and I, I hadn't I hadn't yet referred to the piece, but I would definitely refer people to oh, read yeah. Daniel Greenfield's piece at Front Page Magazine. Uh, is it's called Islam is the ultimate sleeper cell? Is that right? Right. Yeah, That's Islam right. is Islam is the ultimate sleeper cell. And for people who want to understand a little bit more about why that's true and who don't necessarily want to go through reading the Quran themselves. Now, I did, for people who are new to the show or hadn't heard me talk about this before, I did actually host a Quran reading group. It was an online group, and we talked on one of these online platforms every week, and we read a chunk of the Quran. And we also read, along with the Quran, Robert Spencer. He's the guy who edits and, and writes on the Jihad Watch blog. I'm, uh, we, I'm going to get off the we, phone now because uh, the sound oh, okay, is bad. Okay, great. So yeah, off. no, I'm going Okay, thanks for calling in. Thanks for calling in, Bosch. I'm sorry you couldn't be here. Um, anyway, I... Uh, we read Robert Spencer's commentary on the Quran, and then at the very end, we had an hour with Robert Spencer, which was really nice. He gave us an hour of our time, and I asked him a whole bunch of questions about Islam. And that interview is just as relevant today. No, it doesn't talk about the you know the Boston attack in particular, but it talks about what it is about this ideology that leads people to commit these attacks. Uh, the Spence, Robert Spencer interview can be found on Blog Talk Radio. If you go to Blog Talk Radio and you just put in the search uh, box, Robert Spencer, I think it'll be the first one to come up. But in any event, it was uh, 
posted by me on August 31st, 2011. It's uh, titled Robert Spencer Interview on my page there on uh, on Blog Talk Radio. Now, Mikhail in the chat room is uh, following up with us here. He says, even though the lockdown was directly inconvenient for him, he said, so is the threat of being killed, so he doesn't have any qualms about the police response. Great. That was good to hear, Mikhail. Because, I mean, for me, I don't think I would at all. I completely understand the police doing that. Now, in terms of saying, okay, well, we had a jihadist attack, and so let's read all of your emails, everybody in the whole country, just, you know, give up your right to privacy in your emails. No, I'm not going to be in favor of that. We'll talk more about that later. But in terms of a short-term lockdown in a city, while the guy is still on the loose, right, that's the difference between September 11th and this attack, is that September 11th, as far as you knew, the guys who were responsible all blew up in those planes, right? They were gone. Whereas in this attack, we knew that there was somebody on the loose who could possibly place more of these bombs and kill more people. Plus, they wanted to, of course, apprehend him just to make sure justice was done because he didn't uh, yet blow up. Um, anyway, some people were saying in the in the chat room that there was talk about the younger scumbag brother being 19 years old and therefore being tried as a minor. Well, first of all, he's not a minor. It's 18. So that seems ridiculous. But, I mean, you have just no sympathy. Some people were saying, well, maybe the younger brother was drawn into it by the older brother and we shouldn't really blame him. As far as I know, someone told me that there is footage of that scumbag younger brother smiling, smiling just before uh, these bombs were detonated. That is ridiculous. I, I mean, this guy has no remorse as far as we can tell if he's sitting there smiling as he's placing bombs, knowing that they're going to rip off legs of some of the most elite athletes in the world. It is, it's horrendous to even think of. I'm going to take another call. Calm down for a second. Let's see who this is. Hey. Hi, who's this? Hi, who's this? This is Ollie. Ollie, hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, so I wanted to uh, uh, repeat something I've seen said online to sort of play devil's advocate just to uh, see how you would respond to it, and then I've got my two cents as well. Uh, something okay. I've seen people Something I've seen people say is, you know, if these guys happen to be Muslims, so what? I mean, when the, when the guy shot up the movie theater a few months ago, we didn't call him a Christian extremist, although he may have been raised Christian um, and in Christian, so why call these like why focus on the fact that these guys are Muslim? And, right. You know that's what I've heard said. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, if if the guy who shot up everyone in Aurora, Colorado, if he was motivated by his religion, and if you had some evidence of that, then that would be relevant. But right now, we live in an era where we have seen time after time after time that we have been attacked by people motivated by this religion, right? Um, and I happen to know firsthand because of reading the Quran myself um, how it is that people come to be motivated by this particular religion to commit these attacks. No, and I want to be clear, it is not true that all Muslims are motivated to do this and that every Muslim is somebody waiting to kill you. That's ridiculous. But the people who actually read the Quran and take 
these many portions of the Quran where they're attack, you know, calling for attacks on all infidels. Kill the infidels wherever you find them. If they take that literally and they go out and act upon it, then yes, it is this ideology is doing it. And we have seen a huge number, I mean, unfortunately, way too huge number of people who are motivated by that today. So, I, you know, Christianity is just not being taken to its full logical conclusion today the way it was pre-enlightenment, whereas Islam is being, you know, taken seriously and literally by way too many, uh, a huge number of people, relatively speaking. And that's why if somebody, you know, uh, commits a horrible attack on our civilian population and then you go to his personal profile and you see that he declares his worldview to be Islam, that we think is relevant. Uh, you know, one of the worst travesties, and, and, and Giuliani was talking about this on The Five, one of the worst travesties was when the Fort Hood massacre occurred. And the perpetrator, we know, when he was shooting up all these people in Fort Hood, he yelled out, Allah Akbar. And then what did our government declare this to be an instance of afterwards? Was it a jihadist attack? No, they called it workplace violence. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, sick of people, you know, ignoring the fact that this is around. But I, I've seen the same kind of thing, Ollie. Um, discussions on Facebook, really heated discussions right now, right? Because a number of people are starting to say, yeah. It is Islam that is motivating these people. And then people come back and they say, well, you know, all religions are equally bad because all religions are anti-reason, pro-faith. And that means that in the end, when you can't convince people by reason and you're going to faith and then faith doesn't work because people don't share your faith, what do you use? You use force. That's how Islam spread name you know by the people who the you know the the people who tell me about how Islam spread the experts about Islam which are you know Bosch Boston unfortunately is not here Robert Spencer and others how did Islam spread it spread by violence um you know that that's that's what it did uh, a lot of religions when it pushed came to shove right when people said no I don't believe in your religion what do they do they use force they use force on Galileo back then uh so so it's true that all religions do this but in our era our era now, the religion that is resulting in violent attacks on innocent civilians around the world, more often than not, is Islam. So that's kind of my answer. Did you have something different? Sorry, I'm going on and on yeah. about this, but I'm I'm pretty <laughs> upset. Uh, yeah, we all are, of course. Uh, I, I agree with everything you said, and uh, what I would add to that is when people compare it to uh, events like the movie theater shoot shoot up and the Newtown massacre, I would say. We absolutely should look at the philosophy of whoever commits these acts. Are, are they are they students of nihilism, of moral relativism? These should be what we are discussing, uh, as opposed to where did they get the gun and should guns be legal? So, right. um, yeah, I would double down on, on examining uh, philosophy and driving factors, as opposed to just ignoring uh, philosophy altogether. No, exactly, and. You know, the the thing with this, too, and I, and I talked about at the beginning about, well, what if it was just some domestic white person, who knows, that was just shooting or, you know, trying to kill all these Boston marathoners because it was hatred of the good for being the good? 
I guess in a way, to me, that is more disturbing than this. Now, it's hard to say what's more disturbing, but the reason it would be more disturbing is because it would say more about the state of our culture of people who are, you know, kind of born and bred here, not influenced by Islam, right? Um, Just how people here brought up in our schools and stuff, would just come to hate the good for being the good. And that would mean that our culture is even worse off than I know it already is. So I guess in that sense, I would think it would be even worse if it was not a jihadist. But it's hard to say. I mean, you know, when something like this happens, you say, well, you want it to be one type of person versus another. I, I wouldn't. I would never even think that way unless you really pushed me. And then I think, okay, well, then maybe I think it's a little bit better if it's a jihadist because at least that's some kind of weird foreign influence that hasn't taken hold among Americans. Whereas this idea of hatred of the good for being the good is starting to take hold among Americans, thanks to people like Obama. But we haven't seen people act out on it in a violent, an overtly violent way. We have seen people vote policies into office and into legislation you know, by which to punish the good for being the good. But we haven't seen, like, these overt attacks as much. We've seen people call for it. Uh, You know, the weatherman is a good example. And, um, you know, another thing that Gutfeld was so good about this week was that he pointed out that Robert Redford's movie, I guess, was released this week. And in that movie, Redford expresses sympathy for the Weather Underground or whatever the hell they were called in the 60s, which were just a bunch of terrorists who hated the good for being the good, right? That is scary stuff. That is really scary. I mean, do you agree, Ali, that's a little bit scarier than a jihadist? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was thinking to myself when the event happened, I was saying if if this is homegrown, I mean, if this is if we're just literally falling apart uh, here at home, then we're in much deeper trouble than I thought. Um, I'd rather it be a, a foreigner, somebody from uh, from outside, looking to uh, hurt us. I mean, it, it's a it's a tra- you know it's a massacre in any case. But I mean, if this is us, if this is happening internally, then uh, we are in much deeper trouble, uh, moving at a much quicker pace than I thought. Right. Right. Now, Mikhail in the chat room, I don't know if you're reading the chat room right now, he had a really good point. He says, the logical extreme of Christianity is suicide. The logical extreme of Islam is murder. Uh, I, in a way, I think that's you know more true. I mean, you can, you can compare and contrast the two religions a little bit by looking, for instance, at their prophet. Uh, you know, Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins, yada, yada, right? All that stuff. Um, You know, again, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of this. But if you look at Jesus and you compare him to Muhammad, which, if he existed, was a horrible mass murderer, right? Um, You'd say, okay, well, Christianity is a little bit different. But push come to shove again, Christianity would lead to force in practice and in fact, this particular pope that they just uh, instilled could, uh, you know, lead a push in that direction towards a more fundamentalist, either Catholicism or Christianity, which if it took hold, could have just as drastic consequences. The only thing is, is that right now, it happens to be that that is not um, having having the effect. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, compa- I feel like comparing Christianity to Islam is kind of like, chasing our tail around. I mean, I guess the case could be made that the that altruism in you know was brought to us by Christianity or or certain 
elements of it, and that may have brought us, you know, communism and all that whole pile of bo- dead bodies. I mean, who knows? And, you know, and it's interesting because I just got done reading uh, Robert Spencer's book, um, The Politically Incorrect Guide to uh, Islam and the Crusades. Mm-hmm. And I, I disagree with Spencer in that he seems to think that Christianity gave us the Enlightenment and that the way Christianity views God as as not being like as as still uh, being uh, subjected by the laws of nature is, is in contrast to the philosophy of Islam, and of course I don't agree with that. So I think no. even uh, Robert Robert Spencer has that part wrong, although I tend to agree with him uh, most of the time. No, and I, I mean again when he is discussing Islam, he's very good. And yes, I would part ways with him with certain things that he says about Christianity. Although every time I've talked with him, I haven't found him to, you know, be really pushing his Christian beliefs in any way, shape, or form. I, I find him, you know, very, very rational overall. Uh, and at least he'll talk. You know, there's some people who won't even say that Islam is a religion. Yes, Islam is a religion. Yes, it's a horrible, murderous, totalitarian ideology as well as a religion. Um, but some people, you know, they, they, they're they religious and they don't want even the idea of religion to be besmirched by being linked with Islam. So uh, thanks, Ollie, for calling in. Any more last words on this before I go on to the next oh. call? Oh, that's about it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for calling in and uh, and thank you for tuning in. Let's see who we've got here on the next call. Thank you for calling in, people. By the way, it's 760-888-5817 if you'd like to call in. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Oh, you know, pretty good. I'm definitely, like you, very angry about this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, 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 what about Obama? Oh, my God. You know, that's one of the things that I was thinking that I might mention is just the contrast of his reaction to the failure of his gun legislation to his reaction to this mass murder and bombing. He was so much angrier. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. He was so much angrier about the legislation than about this mass killing. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was just furious. I mean, you you can see I I posted an article on Facebook that, that discussed that you know how upset he is, and then there was like a video that you could click on and see him just ranting and saying it's a shameful day in Washington, and he was just angry. And uh, you know, it's the closest I've ever seen a president come to throwing a temper tantrum in public. You know, but then when it comes to this bombing, it's just oh, it's a tragedy. And um, yeah, whatever. I guess some people died. I mean, it wasn't that blasé, but he just was just so far less enraged by this horrible, evil act than he was oh, by yeah. not getting his way. You know, I don't, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Bosch Boston had a cartoon at Front Page Magazine about this. And the theme no, of the cartoon, yeah, yeah, the, you should go check it out. The theme of the cartoon was what makes Obama angry. And you see... Uh, and there was three different things. It was the Fort Hood, um, and then there was something else, and then there was the Boston Marathon jihadist attack. And at the Fort Hood, I, if, I don't know if you remember, the first time that he was on camera in a press conference after the Fort Hood massacre, at the very beginning of it, he gave a shout-out to some guy in the audience. 
Yeah, like, I remember that. Like, he told him what happened, and then he said, oh, yeah, he had this whole spiel prepared, and he just went ahead with it. And he said, yeah, I got a shout-out for Medicine Jim or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just, uh, it, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like it's not real to him, or he just, I, I, don't, I can't even begin to imagine what sort of mentality regards news of a mass murder as equivalent to saying hi to somebody that you recognize in the audience, you know, as no, equal in importance. Well, and then, and then, I mean, you know, judging by the way he treated the press conference there after the Fort Hood massacre, then you're not surprised when he tells everybody that they need to refer to that attack as so-called workplace violence versus a jihadist mm-hmm. attack. I mean, that is just inexcusable. So there was that. And then, in the chat room, people here are talking about watching Obama after the uh, first scumbag brother was killed or the second scumbag brother was caught or whenever he got up there and, and put the camera in front of himself. Who cares? But they were saying that he was listless. He was uh, completely emotionless as he was talking about this. Um, I mean, that's just bizarre that he would be so flat, you know, in um, – I forget. I'm thinking. I'm not thinking of the word right now. But it's like his demeanor, his um, affect. You know, his affect would be so flat and listless. And then when he's talking about a stupid piece of gun control legislation that wouldn't do anything to prevent any of the attacks that have occurred anyway, right? Um, mm-hmm. That he he'd get so emotional about that. Now I was trying to think of some sort of devil advocate argument that you could give for why Obama should be flat when he's talking about that and yet get so emotional about politics. And it's the idea of, well, maybe our president thinks, well, we shouldn't give them the satisfaction of getting emotional about it. Yeah, but he should give us the satisfaction of getting emotional about it. You know what I mean? I, I mean right. Right. He should give us the satisfaction of that moral leadership and the passion uh, that one would expect from a leader in responding to this kind of a situation. I mean, you you could say, well, maybe it's at least honest because he's not going to give you any sort of satisfying attack uh, back or, you know, any, any satisfying retribution for these people. I mean, he wants to try this guy in civilian court is what I hear. But... Um, you know, with I remember with George W. Bush after 9-11, he, you know, if you heard his voice, if you didn't just read the language on the page, when he gave his speech to Congress or wherever, he sounded ready to really go back and get some retribution, right? Yeah. And then what, then what did he do? He had these stupid little wars that weren't even the right enemy that didn't, you know, ever resolve anything. And who knows what situation Iraq is in right now. I mean, you know, you could say, well, at least Obama's more honest. He's telling you what he really, you know, gets worked up about and what he actually plans to do something about. Yeah, um, that's true. It's like you you got to have both the passion to to give a, a properly, um, uh, well, a properly impassioned speech, but you also have to have the intention to act on it. It's not enough just to be, uh, to have a an affect that suggests that you care, uh, you got to actually do something. But, so I'm sorry, um, I, I got I got you off on Obama, and you wanted to probably call and talk about something else. So go go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. Um, you know, I uh, I did find that pretty interesting about Obama, but um, 
the this this scumbag number two, I have made a note when you were talking to the last caller as far as oh yeah, you mentioned that there was a maybe you had seen a picture of him smiling right around before the bomb went off. You know, I've right. seen a picture of him actually that little boy who was killed, there's a picture of that boy with his family kind of smiling and watching the marathon, and you see scumbag number two, like a couple people behind them. You see right. him standing there a couple feet away from these people and just getting ready to put the bomb down or, you, you know, I mean, that that was just unbelievable. But he, and he, and he yeah, that, that he would be walking around smiling and that sort of thing, That that's just... Uh, I, I don't understand how anybody could want to whitewash this animal uh, by refer, by referring to him as a young man. I mean, that almost young makes man, it sound benevolent. Young man, they say over and over, this young man. Oh, how could this young man have been radicalized? Oh, my gosh. You know, heaven forbid, again, you know, to mention what the ideology is, we'll just say he's a radical and how right. did he get radicalized? And he was so misunderstood and he wasn't assimilated and oh, poor him. You know, some people in the chat room were saying, well, yeah, sometimes I feel a little bit alienated from my fellow man, but that doesn't mean I go out and try to kill people. Hello? Mm-hmm. <sighs> and they, they talk about being radicalized almost like like it's catching a virus, like there's nothing you can do about it. You're just kind of walking mm-hmm. around innocently and somehow you just become radicalized, like it's something that just happens to you. And right. Uh, definitely strange for them to talk about it that way. Um, but, uh, you know, also one thing that I wanted to mention about that is, um, I don't know, have you heard the uncle, have you heard what he had to say? Uh, now, I, aren't, aren't, aren't there two different uncles? So there's one uncle that said that these guys should never have been born, and then another that was maybe more sympathetic. Wh- which are you referring to? Well, there was the good one. It's the only one I had known of, and okay. and I just really appreciated what he had to say. What and and it's interesting that you guys were mentioning this issue of hatred of the good for being the good as a motivation. That's that's essentially almost what the uncle said in the interview that I heard. I mean, he said he he didn't say it formulated that way, but he said they were losers and they couldn't get settled and they hated the people who could. And and that was kind of his way of saying that they were they were somewhat motivated maybe by envy. And and mm-hmm. then I, um, I, so I'm just wondering, like I heard Michael Savage say, oh, that makes sense to me because this is the type of person who's drawn to this type of religion. And I thought that was a kind of interesting take on it, um, just to think that that sort of, you know, hatefulness, that sort of envy might be actually something that makes a person be attracted to, Islam, which is such an obviously violent, like this is a religion where they can they can now rationalize attacking people and lashing out at people and killing. Right. So, I mean, maybe, you know, the, the fact that I'm a little bit relieved that it was a jihadist and not somebody who just was here in the United States hating the good for being the good you know, that this was this was uh, an immigrant. I mean, somehow that makes you feel a little bit better, but it's only one step away, right, like you say, because maybe it's true. Some people will see this on TV, and then if there's that hatred of the good for being the good, you know, kind of burning within them, they're going to be inspired by this. They're going to themselves be interested to figure out, you know, Islam. What I have heard in the past is that the number one religion converted to in prison <laughs> By inmates mm-hmm. is Islam. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah, that's it's not a surprise. I mean, I do think that maybe there's kind of a connection between those two things and that and that, that type of person is more likely to join one of these religions. Right, right. Well, thank you, Debbie, for calling in. I'm going to um, follow up with a little bit more of what's going on here in the chat room, but definitely thank you all for calling in. And if you want to get in a, a couple more minutes, I've got that as well, 760-888-5817. But in the chat room, Mikael, again, he's the, the guy from Boston, our, our Boston local in the chat room. He says he's talked to a lot of people who were more directly hurt by the attack in Boston. And he says he's seen a lot of popular support for vigilante justice, for lack of a better wording. Um, and he says he hasn't had his, a chance to work through his initial uh, negative emotional reaction to this, but he's wondering what my thoughts are. I mean, I could certainly understand the you know, the feeling that you would want some sort of vigilante justice. So far as I've seen, I've been pretty satisfied with what the authorities have done so far. Um, I was pretty surprised when I heard reports that the way that the first scumbag brother got killed was by being run over by the second scumbag brother. Uh, Was he running him over so that the guy wouldn't talk? Did he run him over by accident? And then that was probably something that the police could use later to torture the younger scumbag brother with, which sounds great. You know, did you know you killed your brother? Um, I I think that they're suffering pretty well. I could imagine if I was an EMT on the scene when the younger scumbag brother was caught and that younger scumbag brother was already hurting from his wounds, I might not handle him so gingerly. You know, it's like, oh, I kind of rough handled you a little bit as I put you up here on this cot or stretcher or whatever when I was bringing you. I'm so sorry. Oh, gee, um, we can't give you so many painkillers because you have to talk to the nice men at the police department. And, you know, we don't really want to mess up your mental abilities, but we'll give you some painkillers after, you you know, stuff like that. Um I don't have evidence right now that there's not being a proper handling of this by the authorities. I think, you know, assuming that Obama, uh, excuse me, Osama bin Laden was actually killed by our Navy SEALs the way we hear, I assume that it was. It wasn't because Obama wanted it. it. Similarly, I don't think Obama necessarily himself, if given the, uh, you know, the you know, the ability to prevent it. I don't think he'd want as good a justice as we'll probably get for these guys. I I mean, I'm hoping this guy's going to get either life or the death penalty or something horrible. Um, you know, there is this guy, the Saudi, that was initially a suspect and then they cleared him and then they're going to deport him. But Glenn Beck says, don't deport him. Um you know, or, or if you deport him, I'm going to out you because I know the truth about this Saudi guy. Is that Saudi guy really part of it? And is Obama giving the Saudi guy who might be a ringleader of this whole thing or the financier of this whole thing, is he giving him a pass? All this remains to be seen, but I can understand the emotion for the vigilante justice at the same time. I wouldn't see any reason in the world to consider seriously acting upon it at this point because I have seen the police and the authorities go around rounding up the people that they're supposed to. As far as I know right now, they have 
looked into the idea of an entire cell of a dozen people, and they've captured some of them. This is a report that I read from the Mirror UK in London. Why do we have to get news about this from the UK and not here in the United States? I don't know. Maybe here in the United States they're told that they shouldn't be doing this uh, because uh, you know, they don't want to out the police's, you know, strategy in capturing them or something. I don't know. But at least we're hearing that there's uh, maybe justice being done. What do you want to say? Just boss saying, boss uh, dropped in. I just say I love how you're referring to the scumbags as scumbag one, scumbag two. <laughs> but why insult scumbags? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, why? But seriously, I love it. That's all. No, I mean, I don't even pronounce their names. I don't even want to mispronounce the scum their names. scum of the earth. And I don't even know their names. I don't care. I, mean, I, I, I unfortunately did you know because I read the Volunteer yeah, Conspiracy you know, blog. Uh, as I do sometimes, yeah, uh, Durka Durka, Muhammad Allah Jihad, Harper, uh, Shirk of Shirper, Bakala. But uh, Mark Levin was, was uh, he was talking about these names this week. And he said, uh, Abdullah, Scuba Duba Dooby, whatever. You know, he, he was getting Yeah, really I mean, don't even give them the time of day to pronounce right. their name properly. It's, it's disgusting. That was my contribution. Yeah, Deborah says that she's insulting animals by calling these brothers <laughs> animals. Um, yeah, Robert in the chat room is saying that this is Bosch's positive influence on me calling them scumbags. You know, I think that it was also Greg Gutfeld calling them scumbags, and that rubbed off on me as well. So I really do want to give uh, kudos to Gutfeld. Gutfeld was disgusted, visibly disgusted on the five. And I thought he had exactly the proper tone towards these guys. You know, don't keep putting their cute little pictures up there. You know, oh, he looks so innocent in his high school graduation outfit. No, gone out of there. Um, What I do want to talk about in the last few minutes here is something where I actually part ways with Rudy Giuliani and his discussion about this. He has been excellent in his commentary on Fox News this week. He has called it out as a jihadist attack. He has brought up the issue of the Fort Hood massacre and said that in contrast to that, that uh, the president wasn't wasn't using the proper terminology, that the Fort Hood massacre was referred to as a workplace violence episode, and it should be called a jihadist attack. Uh, I guess that Obama has reluctantly used the word terrorist attack in some contexts with respect to this attack. He has in other contexts referred to it as a tragedy, which it is not. You know, you don't refer to and 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 Giuliani was excellent about this point because he said you should re- reserve the word tragedy for things like a hurricane. Things that are not man-made, right? There's the metaphysical versus the man-made. A jihadist attack is man-made. A hurricane is metaphysical, right? So a jihadist attack, you need to call it what it is. It is an, Yes, in the chat room, Robert is saying atrocity. It is an atrocity. It is not a tragedy. It is an attack. It is a war attack on us. Um, where I part ways with Giuliani is when he says that we need to be willing to give up our privacy in order to prevent these attacks. I do not think that is necessary. And moreover, as I talked about it, the you know the conference that I was at last week, the so-called third-party doctrine in the Fourth Amendment jurisprudence that says that when you share something with a third party, like your Internet service provider, when you put your email up on that server, there is 
this third-party doctrine that says that you no longer have a reasonable expectation of privacy in your email when you continue to store your email on your server. I disagree with that. First of all, I disagree with the whole reasonable expectation of privacy test. I think that you have a contract with your Internet service provider, and insofar as you have that contract with them, the authorities should have to get a search warrant or the equivalent. There should be probable cause, particularized suspicion before they can read your email. There would be an exception, of course, for exigent circumstances like imminent danger that you could prove could be thwarted by searching the email. But we are not constantly in threat of imminent attack. And so you cannot have this long-standing idea that the authorities, the IRS, Justice Department, whoever, can just read or even scan our email without the equivalent of a search warrant, without probable cause, without particularized suspicion. Um, I'm, I'm talking about this a little bit because it's relevant, a little bit because I talked about it last week at the conference. Um, the third-party doctrine actually arose in the context of the so-called secret agent cases in which you can imagine like a Tony Soprano discusses in his basement, uh, you know, something about his ter- as a excuse me, not terrorist, but his mafia operations, right? But when he's talking to the scumbags in the basement with him, Tony Soprano, the contract that he has with them is not like the contract you have with your Internet service provider. The contract you have with your Internet service provider is a legal contract. The contract that Tony Soprano has with his fellow scumbag in his basement when he's talking about his mafia operations, that is an illegal contract. It is for the purpose of carrying out an illegal end. And therefore, a contract that is an illegal contract at the common law, according to common law, that contract is unenforceable. So whereas when I have my contract with my Internet service provider and part of my contract is to keep my email private, that contract should be enforced and it should not be invaded unless and until the government can give up a search warrant, right? Probable cause, particularized suspicion. Versus with... Tony Soprano and the scumbag in his basement who he's talking to. That's an illegal contract. The entire contract, including any clause, implicit or explicit, in the contract whereby they you know, promise to keep their stuff secret, unenforceable across the board at common law. So that's what I was talking about last week. The other reason that I'm talking about this is that Leonard Peikoff forwarded to me a question about the so-called right to privacy that was sent to him by a listener of his, and I promised to talk about it in this week's show. Uh, The question was, what does he think that Ayn Rand would say about the so-called right to privacy, how privacy should be protected legally? Um, I think the name of the listener was Allison, but I'm not 100% sure, and I'm sorry, Allison, if, if it's not you, if I've forgotten your name, but... I have written extensively on what I think Ayn Rand would say about privacy and how it should be legally protected. And if you want to read more about it, then you can Google my name, Amy Peikoff. Last name is spelled P as in Peter, E-I-K-O-F-F. And then the two words, first word beyond, second word reductionism. So like reduction with I-S-M at the end. 
So if you Google that, you will read what I think Ayn Rand would have said about the right to privacy with which what I just said is consistent. So everyone, we have come to the end of this hour. Um, thank you everyone for tuning in, for chiming in the chat room, for my callers. I, I thank you for your participation. Mikael in the chat room, I wish you and the other Bostonians a recovery from this. And I wish you not to forget the cause and, and always seek to root out people who would do the same thing again. Uh, people who want to follow the show, you can go to the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook and click like there. If you want to follow the show here on Blog Talk Radio, you can click follow. You can also go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com to read more about me. Uh, thank you very much. I think Bosch is here. He has one last word for everyone. I just tweeted earlier. I said, all Muslims have Islam. Jihadists have full-blown Islam. That's all. Sorry. Yeah, pe- people shouldn't forget the role of the ideology in this. It's not a race. It's an ideology that some embrace more than others. And when they do, we see horrible things like we did this week. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Let's hope for a better week. Let's hope for more of this cell to be round up. Let's hope for people in Boston to begin to heal as they see that justice will be done. We do want to see justice be done in this case. Have a good week. Good night, everyone. Take care. (laughs) 